This is Will Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, and our continuing podcast series, Turning the Tide, Saving the Chesapeake Bay. My guest today is Maryland senior scientist for CBF, Doug Myers, and we're going to talk about dolphin in the Chesapeake Bay. Do you say dolphin or dolphins? Is it like sheep? Um, I I always say dolphins when I mean more than one. Dolphins. Okay, we're going to talk about dolphins in the Chesapeake Bay today. And, um, you know, there is a sign of the Chesapeake Bay on the rebound. Tell us a little bit about why people are so excited. Well, people are excited because they're seeing them. Uh, They're seeing them in higher numbers and more frequently and in places that they haven't seen them before. Uh, Even Annapolis Harbor over the last uh, year or so. And here in front of the Merrill Center in uh, Annapolis, we're seeing dolphins. I saw some last week on our oyster restoration vessel just south of uh, Poplar Island. So a lot more sightings out there, a lot more people reporting those sightings, uh, kind of raising the interest and the excitement level. And we, we certainly know that the bay is getting better, and we always have to say, but it's not good yet. Right. It's on the way towards improvement. And you know, I think a lot of people are equating the dolphins with uh, an improved bay, and there's some truth to that, but let's go back a little bit. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing dolphins in the Chesapeake, oh, 30, 40 years ago. Right but not in the quantities we're seeing them today. Is, is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, I think they're going to be following the fish population. So as the bay improves and fish populations improve, you're gonna see more dolphins. They're a top predator in the ecosystem. So just like seabirds or sharks or people, <laughs> there are the things that are gonna feed on fish. And when there's a lot of fish and there's a lot of diversity of fish, the dolphin populations will follow. Any correlation at all beyond the the biomass, the the, the food source, mm-hmm. to water quality? Absolutely. Uh, the more uh, better water quality, the more ecosystems you have out there, like uh, oyster reefs and seagrasses, then you have more variety of fish, more species. And so dolphins are highly energetic in their requirements. They need a lot of different fish. They're going to prefer fish that have higher fat content. Uh, and so they're going to be ranging far and wide to find fish. The more species and the more uh, distributed those species there are in the bay, the less they have to work to get to them. And so that's, I think, why we're seeing them in far-flung places in larger numbers is there's more available habitats, more species diversity, and just a lot of fish to support them. But it's, here's an here's a opportunity to do a little biology. The one thing they would not be affected by, am I right, is low dissolved oxygen. Uh, Yeah, they can hold their breath, um, (laughs) but they're not going to go to places with low dissolved oxygen because there won't be anything to eat there. Right, right. But they're breathing when they surface. Right, they breathe at the surface. It's actually one of the things that makes them susceptible to disease and pollution is Mm. because as they're... Uh, volatilizing the air around the surface of the water, they're going to bring in whatever pollutants might be there. Imagine if there's like an oil slick uh, at the surface of the water, a dolphin's going to breathe and it's going to suck in those oil particles, which could then uh, begin to deteriorate their uh, respiration system. So let's let's put dolphin in the in the right category because mm-hmm. they're two type of dolphin. They're dolphin fish Correct. and dolphin. The mammal. The mammal. So what we're talking about is the mammal. The bottlenose dolphin is the most commonly seen one here. Uh, Scientific name, Terciops truncatus, if you want to be Uh really specific. Good for you. (laughs) You're Um, trying to impress us. No, no, no. (laughs) Uh, Just to distinguish them from there is a fish uh, that uh, is a kind of tropically uh, uh, distributed species around the world that some people call dolphins, some people call them dorado, some people call them mahi-mahi, depending where you are. So that's the same species. It's a fish, not to be confused with 
the marine mammal dolphin. And while we're going through all these, let's uh, clarify porpoise versus dolphin. Right. So in the cetaceans or the whales, things that look like a dolphin, um, there are porpoises. And porpoises have small uh, razor sharp teeth, almost like a saw blade, um, whereas the dolphins are gonna have larger cone-shaped teeth. So they're eating larger prey, uh, the dolphins are, and the um, porpoises are eating smaller prey. We would see harbor porpoises here possibly in the wintertime uh, in parts of the bay um, as the bottlenose dolphins go further south to stay in warm water. Now, there's been some talk about dolphin, dolphins, I tend to say dolphin, dolphins <laughs> and sharks. Right. What, what's the correlation there? So they're both they're both top predators. They're both going to be going after the same uh, fish. Uh, sharks are pretty opportunistic. Um, if a dolphin, say, would die of disease and would be floating around, sharks would be investigating that floating meat, and they might take a chunk out of it. And I've actually seen some pictures recently of uh, a dead dolphin with a chunk of uh, flesh taken out of it by obviously a shark-shaped uh, bite mark. So they're occupying the same space. When there's uh, a pod of dolphins uh, moving around, they're moving around in these groups to protect each other. And so they're able to mm -hmm. kind of scare off a shark, uh, but they often follow each other back and forth uh, around food sources. And so they're in close close proximity pretty often. And I guess we ought to make sure we dispel concerns about sharks in the Chesapeake Bay. Sharks are really everywhere in the marine environment and, and in the right. estuarine environment. I don't think I've ever heard of a documented shark attack on people in, in the bay. In the bay, no. Uh, there's probably only one species that would come far up into the bay. Uh, bull sharks tend to be um, uh, able to go into fresher waters. Uh, there's uh, actually stories of a bull shark making it up to Illinois in the Mississippi River. Really? Um, that they can withstand that much fresh water. So they're the only really truly estuarine species of shark, except for maybe the dogfish, the smaller uh, sand sharks that you would see. Because every once in a while you'll hear about a fisherman, especially when there used to be a lot of uh, gill netting on the bay, right. catching a, a shark as far up as the Chesapeake Bay Bridge in Maryland. Sure, so, there's yeah. no reason why they wouldn't. Doug, one of the things that I think fascinates a lot of people is the communication of animals. I mean, this is, some of us think that humans are the only species that communicate, and that's right. just not true. So dolphins have a unique communications pattern as well. Right. And I think we even have some sounds. Maybe we could listen to one. Sure. And you could tell us what that might mean. <laughs> okay. Do, do you best. speak dolphin, by I the do way? not, actually, yeah. I'll, I'll do my best to <laughs> characterize it. Translate. Anyway. Yeah. Were they asking where the nearest McDonald's it was? It might be, yeah. So that chattering sound is, if you've ever watched the TV show Flipper from the 1970s, they use that one constantly. It's one of the few noises that you'll hear them make above water. Hmm. Um, and chattering is, is uh, something that will allow them to keep in communication with each other uh, at a fair distance above water. So if they're out actively feeding in groups, maybe one of them gets lost, they would hear chatter and be able to find their way back um, to the rest of the group. And you were saying earlier that the community the, of dolphins, the pods, are really sort of a protective strategy. They are. They're usually matriarchal, so the oldest female in the pod kind of tells them where they're going to go and what they're going to do. 
um, as the, the younger males start moving further and further away from the pod, just exploring, they'll eventually move off on their own. But the, the young ones and the females are generally all in a, a fairly tight group, and the oldest female usually determines where they go. Before we listen to the next uh, dolphin communication, Doug, you impress me all the time. I, you know that. But but how did you learn so much about dolphins? Uh, when I was in uh, Texas, working in the Texas Gulf Coast out of uh, Galveston, Texas, I um, happened to become very interested myself in dolphins. There's a local population involved in those dolphins around the island. And I joined the American Cetacean Society, had a, uh, a Galveston chapter, uh, became active and engaged, and over a couple of years, they made me their president. And so I was able to uh, organize dolphin watching trips and uh, research uh, boat cruises and things like that. Uh, got to really eat, sleep, and breathe dolphins for a few years. Really terrific. Okay, here's another dolphin sound. <laughs> These are very I can't say that I've ever heard that one. Very strange sounds. Um, there's uh, a couple ways they can make that sound. They can actually uh, use their blowhole and squeeze it tight. It's almost like letting air out of a balloon. Um, they can also make that sound uh, internally through uh, a little plug to inside their head that they can use the melon, that big uh, fatty part of their forehead, to send that sound out into the water this is a sound that's part of their echolocation system. It, e echolocation. Echolocation is basically using sound just like a bat would to find insects. It's putting sound out in the water. It bounces off of things and it comes back to them. They have very sensitive nerve endings in their lower jaw that can absorb those sounds and then interpret it through their brain to the point that you could blindfold a dolphin and they could detect something as small as a dime on the bottom of a pool or fishing line that's strung across the, the water in their path. They're extremely sensitive sense that they don't need to be able to see. So if they're working around and fishing in murky water where you can't have any visual cues, they're aware of where each other are by listening to those sounds and they can use that uh, echolocation sense to not only locate prey, but actually they can concentrate it in a burst that can stun the prey um, and immobilize it until they can come around and eat it. Get I, out of town. I have physically been scanned by a dolphin and I know what it feels like on the outside of my skin. It's a very bizarre sensation. Well, I um, the place that I've seen dolphin the closest, uh, although in, in the bay, actually, I've been very close to them on boats, but uh, is surfing. I love to surf. Right. And you'll often see dolphin in, dolphins in the, in the waves, and yes. you'll see them actually riding waves. Dolphins love to play. They uh, are extremely efficient feeders. They have a very uh, big social structure around their reproduction and their life and their protection, so they have free time. And you know, they have we, free time we, that they use to play. We, we sometimes put human characteristics on animals, mm -hmm. but you, you can assure me that they're really playing when they, they look really, like they're playing? They're really playing. Okay. They're, they're extremely, uh, um, and waves are one of their favorite things. You'll see them bow riding onto big ships or stern riding onto smaller boats. Um, and waves on the shoreline are plenty fun for them to surf just like we do it. I'll be darned. Okay, so... You said the first sound, the flipper-like sound, is mm -hmm. the only sound from above water. That or they could do that, uh, the blowhole, you know. That, that last one, you're not going to try to imitate it for I, I can't do it, Okay, no. so but, let's but listen they could do that one above or below water, yeah. Above, above mm -hmm. or below water mm -hmm. for the second one. Now the third. Yeah. That 
That's, that is way cool. A very I mean, I eerie think sound. That, that sounds a lot to me like uh, sounds of whales. I've it heard. does. And, and much like whales, they would probably use a sound like that, a whistle like that, which again, there's no actual air being expelled. They're underwater and they're vibrating parts of their head in order to generate those sounds. And those can go out, uh, depending on where they are, they actually use the, the density of the water. You know how we have like less dense water at the surface and more dense? There are layers out in the ocean and they can actually go between layers of, of water, understand the density of those, use vocalizations like this to send uh, a message very far away um, because the sound wave bounces back and forth between the two layers of water. Um, whales use it uh, for long-range communications. It's called the so far channel. It's like so far. So far, they can basically go between water layer layers that are denser than the one that they're in and send a message uh, through that conduit uh, using these whistle sounds. Whistles are also one of their most uh, sophisticated individual forms of communication because each individual dolphin has what's called a signature whistle. It's like your name or my name they would be able to use this to identify individuals within the pod and to stay together and know who's there. And it would also be used to identify if there's somebody who's not from your pod. Ah, oh, an outsider. An outsider that could be a source of danger, but it also could be a potential mate because you're generally not going to mate within your pod. Amazing. Okay, I think we've got one more. Okay. Okay, this kind of clicking is usually done in murky water where they're needing to identify their surroundings. Uh, it is, again, an echolocation, uh, generally not associated with uh, feeding as much as it is just um, being able to understand their environment. Uh, we can't do that. Although there are some people who have lost their sight uh, who have been able to train their brains to be able to either snap their fingers or click a cane on the ground and be able to hear the subtle echoes of the surroundings, know to avoid a wall or know when the sidewalk uh, is changing to grass or something like that. So humans have the ability to echolocate to a very, very small degree in the environment that dolphins evolved. Everything uh, revolves around sound. And so they have in highly tuned senses to be able to understand their environment acoustically without being able to see it. Do, do, do they see well? They see as well as us. Um, so if there's really clear water, they could see well. Um, it, they could see okay outside of uh, water in the air. Um, but oftentimes they don't have that ability. Uh, certainly anytime they're here in the summertime in the bay, they're not going to see very far ahead of them. So they're completely relying on these acoustic signals to be able to know how to get around. To say nothing of deep or water or just at night. Correct. Yeah. If you go deep, the, the light disappears and it would be very hard to, uh, to navigate. Do dolphins sleep? They do. It's kind of a nap. Uh, it's, uh, it's not uncommon to run across a small pod of dolphins that are just kind of logging at the surface. Uh, they have to, um, they can't breathe the way we do. They actually have to think about breathing. Mm. Uh, it's, it's not a, uh, um, automatic sense for them. So they have to have enough of their brain going at all times to, uh, to breathe. Um, voluntarily. And it has to be on the surface. Do, do we have the same situation with dolphins being hit by boats the way manatees are hit? Absolutely. I mean, if, uh, if a boat is moving very quickly and comes upon a, a pot of dolphins or an individual that's, that's resting at the surface, that can happen. They have very, very good hearing, uh, so they oftentimes will hear a boat coming. 
Uh, some of the biggest problems is when there's a lot of boat traffic and they can't distinguish what's moving in what direction um, and the, the, their own ability to navigate uh, becomes impaired because there's, there's so much extra noise out there. It's one of the concerns that's been raised about uh, oil and gas exploration because of the seismic charges um, would be very loud underwater and um, be a, a difficult environment to navigate through. And oil and gas exploration is using seismic uh, techniques, se seismic tools, and so that's got to be right. disruptive. It's an air gun that makes a very loud noise underwater that penetrates the surface of the, the substrate and brings back echoes. It's basically the same thing the dolphins are doing, ju just at very industrial scale. <laughs> uh, they're interpreting those images to find where the oil and gas deposits are. So in order for them to do it that loudly, that you can get that kind of signal back from hundreds of feet below the surface, you know it's awfully loud underwater, and that's uh, definitely a problem for anything that needs uh, an acoustic environment to be able to survive. This is, this is just great for me. I've never learned so much during one of these podcasts, Doug. A cu couple of other questions. You know, what happens if uh, one of our listeners comes upon a, a dolphin that's dead in the water? Sure. Is there something they should do? Should it be reported? Or? Right. There is a reporting hotline uh, for both sea turtles and marine mammals uh, in the state. I don't have it, <laughs> the number on me. Um, but it's really important to uh, have those reported. Um, the Stranding Network will go out and try to collect that animal and do a necropsy to find out if they can uh, see the cause of death. Uh, very important data set for us to understand um, what are the different mechanisms that could lead to a, a dolphin dying. It could be old age, it could be a lack of food, um, it could be a disease outbreak, uh, or it could be toxins in the water. Um, when you look at the data set, I think in 2013 there was a very large die-off that happened. And one of the things they discovered... On the East Coast or in the... In the Mid-Atlantic, mid including the Chesapeake. And so that... Um, that die-off was very informative uh, as those were reported in because they noticed that um, young dolphins and male dolphins were disproportionately dying. Uh, what that generally means is there's some kind of a toxin, uh, usually something like PCB or something that would be a fat-soluble toxin in the water that the, the female dolphins can get rid of as they're nursing their young but they're giving that dose of toxin to their young and the males do not have a way to get rid of it. And mm. so it builds up in both the young animals and the male animals and they become susceptible to diseases because of their immune system impairment from those toxins. And then eventually you have a disproportionate death rate between males and the young dolphins and the females. Uh, this is what's happening in Puget Sound with the orcas. Uh, where the PCB load is basically causing either stillbirths or um, the, the death of the firstborn calf of any uh, of the, the orca whales. Uh, the males are not living even half the, the lifespan of the females, and it's causing uh, reproductive issues down the line with the male-female ratio yeah. and being able to sustain the population. We should, um, what we'll do is we'll put uh, that um, website or the location to report uh, sea turtle deaths or dolphin deaths right. on, on our website with this podcast. I guess the last thing and then anything else you'd like to, to say, but what can we do? What can our listeners do to help uh, protect the, the bay's dolphin population? Like anything else, uh, keep the water clean. Whether you're in Pennsylvania, New York, West Virginia, Delaware, anything that's going to get into the bay, 
is going to get into the environment that the dolphins live in and they need. Um, they rely on a clean, healthy population of fish, uh, a diverse population of fish. And so all of our work with the blueprint, all of our work to uh, clean up the bay is necessary for maintaining and sustaining that dolphin population. What a great creature. What a great symbol. They're really of, spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Doug Myers, uh, senior scientist, senior Maryland scientist for the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Every time you and I talk, I learn something. And today I have really learned a lot. I'm going to look at dolphins in a whole new light. So thank you very okay. much. Thanks, Will. For Will Baker and Doug Myers, this is the podcast uh, that we do every two weeks, Turning the Tide, Saving the Bay. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you.